You can follow in your version of the Bible, in your copy, or on the screen. This is God's word. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, the next slide will show just the first three verses, and we'll be focusing on them today. Let's go there. Thank you, slide man. First two verses. That's actually three. Typo, my error. Now, notice what Paul calls us to. Here we are in Christ. We're now in the practical half of his epistle, chapters 4 and 5 and 6. He's telling us what he wants us to do and how to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And notice, out of the gate, the first thing he calls us to, the first things he calls us to, are not activities per se, but they are attitudes. They're dispositions of heart and soul. They're deeply internal things. He wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with humility, calls us to humility. He calls us to gentleness. He calls us to patience. He calls us to bearing with one another in love. He calls us to be eager to, the maintain, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's calling us to these things in a very direct and straightforward way. What he's really after in calling us to humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. The purpose for those things here is really so that we can have unity among the people of God, unity among all true followers of Jesus Christ, unity in our local churches. That's what he's really after. Uh, that, that fact is made clear by the fact that earlier in, in chapter 2, we had quite a section on that very thing, particularly it was about unity between Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile, because that was, in their day, that was the big possible threat to unity in the church. Sure, there could be unity when this person has a spat with that person or disunity. Sure, there could be disunity between you know, that group or that group, but that wasn't the big thing. The, this covers those things, but the big thing really was Jew and Gentile. And the Jew did not like the idea of them, those people, dogs, is what they used to call them, now being fellow members and of the same body, and as Paul puts it in, in Ephesians chapter 2, in addition to those terms, uh, part of this one new anthropos, this new man, this new humanity, they don't get to be part without first going through circumcision and without you know, learning all the Jewish ways and keeping all the Jewish laws and all the dietary regulations. They're like, ooh, we don't do Gentiles until they've done that. They're unclean. And Paul had to teach the church, no, you Jews and Gentiles are now one, one. Did you notice all the one, 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 one? Why does he want us to have humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another so we can be one, 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 one? Especially 
where there might be uh, differing ethnicities that by nature are not one, are not enjoying oneness. So you might say, and we should say, that the passage we're getting into now is one of the Bible's premier passages on telling us how to deal with differing ethnicities and the problems that they might experience with one another. Here's where God says, here's how you do it. Here's where God says, here's how you fix it. Here's where God says, anywhere on the planet where real ethnic disunity might exist, here's how you address it in the church of Jesus Christ. Here's my formula for solving that problem. Here's how to view that problem. And I want to point out to you, there's no critical race theory. There's no narrative of oppressors and oppressed. There's no anybody has to repent of their ethnicity. There's no confessing your skin color as if it was wrong. There's no tearing down the systems that oppress. There's none of that. Rather, there's God's way, which is, all right, here's how we're going to bring Jew and Gentile together and keep them together. First, they're going to be part of this one new humanity, this one new body. They're going to be one, 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 one. And the way they start to experience that is they need to learn humility, each, each one to the other, and gentleness, each with the other, and patience, the other, and bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity. You already have the unity. You've got to be eager to keep it. You've got to work hard at keeping. And these are your fundamental tools of heart and disposition that empower you, that equip you to keep the unity, the oneness that you already have in Christ. So we talked about humility last week. You all got that down perfectly, right? We're all humble now. All right, good. So we can move on. We can't move on until we're all humble. You all humble? Yeah, all right. We know who to work on most now. But next comes gentleness. Walking worthy of the Lord, equal in weight, starts with humility and goes on secondly to gentleness. Because gentleness is important in all human relationships, but it's especially important if people, groups, ethnicities are going to have unity. We've got to be gentle with one another. God wants his redeemed, blood-bought people to have hearts of gentleness, to treat other people with gentleness. Be our, that ought to be our default disposition of how we treat other people. I mentioned default. Yes, there are other situations that might call us away from the gentleness we prefer, but that ought to be our preferred mode. That ought to be our default. What do people get from us? Well, when they get around you, they experience gentleness. Not just physical gentleness, like you don't shove them. Well, that, but verbal gentleness. Not just verbal gentleness while in their heart they hate you. No, gentleness of heart. There's deep gentleness toward you on the inside, and it comes out in gentle words and gentle dealings. We ought to be gentle to one another. This gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you to powerfully work in you the things God wants for you. And the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 tells us, the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and there's more. 
this gentleness is so important. It made it into this short list. Here are the main things the Spirit of God does in you. There are many more than are on that list, but there's a short list. These are the big ones. The Holy Spirit is in you to make you gentle. Gentle to the people in your life. Gentle to your husband, your words. Gentle to your wife, your words. Gentle to your parents, gentle to your, to your children. Gentle to your sheep, gentle to your pastors, gentle. We ought to be a people marked by gentleness. It is a fruit of the Spirit. If we were not gentle, what would that be? What's the opposite? What are some antonyms? Brutal, I, I looked it up, antonyms. Brutal, verbally, you can be verbally brutal. Unkind, harsh, I'm inserting this word, pugilistic. You know what that is, don't you? A pugilist is somebody who's a fighter. They fight, they box, they look like this all the time. Their words are like this all the time. That's what you could be if you're not gentle. But God wants you gentle. So here, my friends, is a question for you. Are you gentle? Would the people who are closest to you say, oh yeah, he or she is gentle? Do the people who know you, would they all say, yes, yes, he or she is, is gentle? Is the Spirit of God increasingly making you gentle? Is there anybody in your life, maybe the Spirit of God is bringing them to mind right now, with whom you need to really become gentle? Well, today's the day when the Spirit of God is especially speaking to us from His Word on that Word, and so that Word is for you, and you're to take it and say, oh, Lord, please help me to be gentle there. Help me to feel gentle in my heart there. Help me to speak gently there. Lord, help me to be gentle. Is it important that pastors be gentle? Yes. It's crucial for pastors and teachers to be gentle. Listen to what Paul says to the Thessalonians. I'll put it up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 6b through 7. He says, when we were there with you, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Could have. There are times when he does. Read Galatians. Read 2 Corinthians and other places. Paul can be very demanding. As a, he can assert his apostolic authority and make demands and lay down the law. He says, but we, we could have been that with you, but it wasn't called for. So we were our default thing, and we were gentle among you. And then this beautiful picture of what he means by that gentleness. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What a beautiful picture of gentleness. So when I speak to you or you speak to me and maybe there's an issue and maybe there's a challenge between us of some sort, it ought to feel like you were a nursing mother and I was a, well, I'm not going to be a nursing mother. I'm, that I was like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This is what it ought to be like between pastors and people. Pastors are to be gentle. Again, let me show you how important it is Paul um, Tells Timothy he needs to be gentle. 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. They're coming into the church in Ephesus. Don't get involved in those. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Pastor always getting into fights? Bad. 
<laughs> bad idea. Quarrelsome pastor, bad. But kind, now that word kind is a Greek word, not the same one we've been seeing as gentle, but this one could also be translated gentle. For example, in the King James Version right here, it is translated gentle, and that's entirely legitimate. The idea is of kindness and gentleness. The Lord's servant, that's technical terminology for a pastor, for one who is in ministry. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Man, I like getting into fights. No, but gentle to everyone, able to teach patiently, patiently enduring evil. So you don't want pastor pugilist or pastor pugnacious, because that would be pastor disaster. I'm glad a few of you laughed at that. Thank you. Back to our verse, slide man, please, Ephesians 4.2. So how, what is God's prescription for? How do we begin to unite people who have been estranged and aren't easily unitable? Well, you begin by working on their individual hearts and teaching them about humility. It's going to start with humility, lowliness. And then you move on to gentleness. It's going to be treating each other gently, not with fists, but with like, like a, a mother holding her little baby. Now, I mentioned in passing a moment ago that that ought to be our default mode, uh, circumstances permitting, but they don't always. Paul says, insofar as it, as it is possible with you, live in peace with all men, insofar as it is possible. It's not always possible. Neither is it, is it always possible, or is it, all, or is it always right, or is it even advisable to always be gentle? It's our default mode. It's what we ought to usually be. It's what's in our hearts. But there are times when we need to set aside our desired gentleness and be more firm, be more strong. It's important that we note that. Why am I taking time to even point that out? It's important that we note that because we're in a rather soft society. We're a rather softened generation, and one great Christian leader that I love, his name is Vody Bauckham, he keeps saying and saying and saying and saying that we've now added an 11th commandment to the 10, and the 11th commandment is, thou shalt be nice. Just always be nice. Oh, that didn't seem nice, what you said about, that wasn't nice. No, in following Jesus Christ, there are times when Christians who are gentle by default need to set aside their default gentleness and become forceful, strong, unbending, firm, even fierce, even violent. Say, Pastor Steve, what do you mean by that? Well, suppose you're a Christian man right now living in Ukraine, and there are lots of them. Suppose you're a Christian man living in Ukraine and Mr. Putin and his gang are invading your homeland. Are you gentle toward them? Do you, do you take them tea and crumpets when they put down their rifles and have a little break for a minute? Or do you become a, do you take up arms and you become their worst nightmare and you become fierce and you strike terror into their souls? Oh, you're not being gentle. No, no, no. these are my enemies. These are people who are invading my homeland. They don't get gentle. I'd rather be gentle. Gentle is what I am. But in this case, I'm fierce. Or to bring it closer to home, a thief breaks and enters your home at 2 a.m. By the way, they almost never do that because they don't want to encounter you. They check out your house and they see when you're both away and that's when they show up in your home. But anyway, 
thief invades your home at 2 a.m., you wake up and hear them out there, are you gentle? You say, oh, it's, I love people. I'm extroverted. It's so nice to meet you. What's your name? Let's have tea. I might have some cookies here somewhere. No, no, no. You become terrifying. You must. You become the aggressor. You become a threat to their existence, and they need to feel that. But you're gentle. But you're not gentle then. Most of the time, we should be gentle. It is our default setting. But there are times when circumstances force us to put aside our default gentleness, but they're extreme circumstances. They're not normal. Don't you be like right now justifying your gentleness. Yeah, that's me. My wife is an extreme circumstance. I get to yell at her all the time. No, 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 no. no there are, putting aside your gentleness is for extreme circumstances. Are, are there any examples in the Bible where there were such circumstances? Help us know what you mean. Okay, there are so many, we could literally just spend the rest of the year opening them up and preaching on it. That wouldn't be fruitful. We don't need to do that. But here are a few. Moses, Numbers 12, 3. It says of Moses, and I guess he wrote this. Now Moses was more gentle than any man on earth. Some say maybe a scribe put that in after his death. But Moses was pretty gentle. Yet in Exodus 32, he came down off of Mount Sinai and found the golden calf orgy underway. And what did he do? Yeah, he threw down those tablets. He read the riot act to Aaron. Aaron, what are you doing? Aaron, a little mousy Aaron, said, well, the people told me to. I was afraid of them. Moses was anything but gentle. We could find tons of examples from the Old Testament prophets. Like, if you have the 11th commandment in your life, like, you always have to be nice. You have never read the Old Testament prophets, have you? Yeah, there's a New Testament prophet. Maybe the last of the Old Testament prophets, John. How about Jesus? Let's go straight to Jesus. It says in Matthew 11, he is gentle and lowly in heart. That's right, and that's his default. And if you allow him to be that to you, he will. But if you don't allow him to be your gentle Jesus, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And at the last day, you will find him terrifying. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Are there occasions when people didn't allow him to be gentle? when he put off his gentleness and became fierce? Yeah, how about Matthew 21? This would be the classic one. You probably all thought of it. When he's, what, what's the most famous example of Jesus not looking so gentle? What is it? Yeah, cleaning out the temple, right? People defiled the temple. The temple was such an important thing. The church of Jesus Christ now. It's such a holy thing. The presence of God is located in the temple. You mess with the temple. That's serious. We're not in gentle zone now. We're in I'm going to terrify you zone now. We're in we don't allow that to happen in here. And Jesus forms a whip, and we don't know, did he hit anybody with it? Or was he just cracking it in the air? Or hitting something with it? We don't know. He's throwing over tables. Money's rolling down the aisles. Jesus in Matthew 21 is anything but gentle. Will you grant me that? Not one of you nodded and granted me that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. How about the apostles? Were they gentle? Yes, let me remind you. Paul's default mode. Let's look at it again. 1 Thessalonians 2.7. We 
could have made demands as apostle of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's default mode. That's what you got when you got near Paul. He didn't come on like gangbusters. He didn't carpet bomb you with the gospel. He didn't light you up. No, he was gentle, like he's holding the baby and you're the baby. Did he ever put aside his gentleness and deal more firmly with people? Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. Just a few examples. There could be so many. Galatians chapter 3. I don't have this to go up on the slide. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Wow, Paul. Wow, Paul, that wasn't winsome. That wasn't gentle. That wasn't kind. You need sensitivity training, Paul. Paul, are, are you tone deaf? There's something wrong with your tone. No, Paul says, there's a serious problem in the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm cracking a verbal whip, and I'm verbally throwing over tables in the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says a little later. I do have this on a slide for you, Galatians 1, 8 and 9. He's only eight verses into his letter. And he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a contrary gospel to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul. Paul. Well, he repeats it to make sure you get it. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Whoa. Paul, sensitivity training time, brother. Your tone. We're supposed to always be gentle. No, gentle is supposed to be in our souls. It's our default mode. It's what we want to be. But it's not always loud. There are times when the firm approach is called for. A few more examples. Classic example, Galatians 5.12. The Judaizers are saying these Gentile dogs, they have to be circumcised before they can really be in in this thing, before they can really come into church. We can't have fellowship with them. They're not circumcised. And so they're the party of the circumcision. And he says, Galatians 5.12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Do you know what that means? It's very softened English for a softened age. Like, we have to be more gentle than the Holy Spirit was gentle. We have to be more gentle. We can't say things Paul said. We have to tone Paul down. Here's what he really said. Oh, I hear you like cutting off flesh. Well, I wish those people who are into cutting off flesh would just go ahead and cut it off. That's what that says. I I wish those who unsettle you would cut it off. Paul... Pastor Steve, I can't believe you just said that. Well, it's in the Word of God. Don't be more holy than God's Word. That wasn't gentle, Paul. No, we're past gentle. It's time for me to deal very firmly and very forcefully with these people. Sometimes pastors whose default mode must be gentle, sometimes they need to become fierce. They need to become very strong. There were Judaizers ruining the church, and they were following Paul everywhere and trying to mess up his converts, and he has no soft words for them ever, ever. So you get it. 
you get the point. Default mode, gentle. 99.9% .9 of the time, gentle. But there are occasions. In your life and my life, realistically, probably almost never. Right? Amen? Like almost all the time, we should be gentle. Almost never do you, can, are you justified in saying, I'm justified in being fierce right now. Probably never or almost never in most of our real lives. So it's rare. Anytime you have the ecclesiastical, the church equivalent to an invasion into your country, that might be a time to put off gentleness. Anytime the doctrinal integrity of your church is seriously threatened and the peddlers of the false doctrine are recalcitrant, they won't stop. That's time to put off gentle and get a little bit fierce. Anytime the moral purity of a church is threatened and the spreaders of the evil are recalcitrant and won't stop, we're past gentle now. So when, when, when am I not justified in putting off gentle? Let me give you a few examples of that. Not when a brother or sister in Christ offended you, you get a little upset, they upset me, now I can be not gentle. And you get on Facebook and you carpet bomb them and you rain fire down upon them. You drag them through the mud. You fire off a blistering, red-hot, scathing letter. By the way, if you have issues with somebody, if at all possible, don't ever send them a letter. Go get with them in person. Just the fact of being in person with them will, notch, will tone you down. That's a human right there you're looking at. It's a human there that you're talking to. Get eyeball to eyeball and talk about the thing and be gentle with each other. So not when a brother or sister offends you a little bit. You ought to almost always, maybe always, be gentle with your wife. I mean, what, what would your wife have to do? All right, I can think of something to make you be less than gentle. That's the only thing I can think of. You, you, ought, you ought to almost always be gentle with your husband, always gentle with your kids, always gentle with your neighbors, always gentle with any other ethnicity on the planet. Gentleness is us. So I ask, are you gentle? Is that what the people in your life get from you? They get gentleness. They get love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit makes for a great marriage. Fruit of the Spirit makes for a great home. The fruit of the Spirit makes for great friendships. The fruit of the Spirit makes for a great church. Our church is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. That means we got love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Wow. That's, that's, that's where I want to be. That's the church I want to be a part of. Thank you, Cornerstone. You're very much that way. And then let's read on. Ephesians 4.2 again, please. Slide, ma'am. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. So you, how, do you, how do you accomplish ethnic rapprochement? Well, you start with humility, and then you teach gentleness, and next comes patience. The word patience is a cool Greek word, makrothumia, makra. There's a lot of something, thumia. What this word means is you can, you can endure a lot. You can take a lot. Like that person over there can just like heap it on you and heap it on you, and you can just stand there and take it. You don't get upset. You don't get mad. You don't get your heart turned against them. You're just gentle, and you still love them. That's what this word means, 
patience, macrothemia, long suffering. You can suffer a long time with them. This word is used in the Old Testament, the Greek version, the Greek translation called the Septuagint or the LXX. In Isaiah 1.13, for example, many other places, it's used of God enduring the vain offerings of the Israelites. They're offering these vain offerings. Their hearts are absent. They're just going through a formality, and God elsewhere says, I hate your offerings, but he's enduring, he's enduring. He doesn't smack them. He didn't come down and wipe them out. He's just enduring it and enduring it. Thank God he's long-suffering, right? In all these things, we're just being like God. Thank God he's long-suffering. He would have smacked me how many times today already, right? Every day, you'd be getting clobbered. But God puts up and puts up and puts up. It's also used of Job, of his endurance of great trials. He just put up with them, put up, he endured and endured and endured. So this is you. Another way to put it is, you have a long fuse. God wants you to have a long fuse. Like it would be very hard for me to make you mad. It would be very hard for me to get you upset. You pretty much don't get upset because you're long suffering. You can take it and take it and take it. You can take a licking and keep on ticking happily. And you don't blow up, and you don't get mad. That other Christian does something wrong. You absorb it. They say something wrong. You absorb it. You're like a big, thick roll of paper towels. You just absorb stuff. I can absorb that to maintain the relationship. I can absorb that to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I can absorb that to keep my marriage cool. I can absorb that. You have to be very, very absorbent. It would take a horrible provocation for you not to be able to absorb something. Like, here's an example of not a horrible provocation. He walked right past me in the lobby. Well, okay, maybe he had to go real bad. You're young, you don't realize that when you're over 65, sometimes you have to hurry. Maybe he had to hurry. There are a lot of maybes that ought to come up in your mind first, so you're applying a rate of discount to whatever that person just did. Well, they just walked past me fast for the second time. Well, maybe if they start talking to people, they're going to be late for band, and they're the drummer, and they need to be there in time, and so they just have to like look down and go, all right? You have a long fuse, Patience, patience. This patience is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. So the Holy Spirit of God is working in you to make you the most patient version of you possible. You are so patient with your wife. You are so patient with your husband. You are so patient with your kids. You're so patient with your parents. You're so patient with your pastors. We are so patient with our people. Let's rename our church, Patience Church. That ought to be us. What do people of differing ethnicities need? Well, we're going to attack each other and carpet bomb each other, call each other names. You need to be repent. No, no, Paul says, Patience. Y'all just need boatloads and tons of Holy Spirit-produced patience. Why? Again, so that we can get to keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But I want you to, I want to show you again where this comes up, this patience 
And then, well, let's go on and look at the last phrase right here first. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing. How many of you just love bearing with somebody? Isn't that fun? Oh, we had such a good time. I had to bear with them all night. No, that's not fun, is it? Paul says, I want you to be really good at this. Here's where unity is maintained. Here's how we bring ethnicities together. They have to learn, you have to learn to really bear with one another because they're not always going to get it right as far as you're concerned. And they're not always going to get it right as far as they're concerned. And so you have to be really, really, really patient with one another so you can listen, so you can understand, so you can keep things calm, so you can have good discussions and figure out what is going wrong here between us. You have to be patient, bearing with one another. There's a parallel text for this in Colossians chapter 3, written about the same time, written with a lot of the same things. Let's look at it, Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. There it is. Put that on. It's like a shirt. You just put it on and you wear it. Every time you interact with other members of the body of Christ, you're in that shirt. I'm in my bearing with shirt. We're going to church. I'm ready to bear with people. You're always in that mode. If anyone has a complaint against another, if, what do you mean, Paul, if? All right, I shouldn't be complaining about Paul's choice of terms. If, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as, here's your standard, here's your model, here's your example, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So, wow, that's how to get ethnicities together. That's how to teach people to work together. That's how to solve problems on the planet. That's how to keep a church one. That's how to keep a marriage one. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing, forgiving. That's a great marriage right there. Amen? How do I get a better marriage, become a better follower of Jesus Christ, have more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? You don't need to focus on your marriage. Just focus on getting to be a way better follower of Jesus Christ, and then maybe focus some on your marriage. If any has a complaint. And of course, Peter, and I mentioned this verse last week, but I'll mention it again here. Peter adds 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, so that's pretty important. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since, well, why should we do that? Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's that absorbing thing. I need to be pastor covering a multitude of sins. I can absorb and absorb you. You're sinning against me. You're doing something wrong to me. You're not treating me right. I can just absorb, 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 and I love you. And I'd be happy to serve you. And I'm not going to get on Facebook and slam you. And I'm not going to carpet bomb you and all your ancestors. I'm not going to wish a plague on your house. None of that. No, love covers. Love has a big, thick blanket and say, and, oh, you just sinned against me? There's my blanket. No problem. You can suffer long with other people, and you can bear with other people. They can make me suffer, and I just take it. I don't blow up the church over it. I don't blow up the friendship over it. I don't blow up the family over it. I don't make a huge brouhaha over it. I don't get all mad and start yelling and swearing and screaming. No, 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 no. 
Men and women need this equally, but here's something for the women in particular. Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. You could be a man or a woman who's tearing down your family, who's tearing down your home, who's tearing down your marriage with your own hands, but it's not really your hands, is it? It's your words that are coming out of the heart, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's your heart that needs to change so that your words will change. So there's no justification for demolishing them over a flea bite, for ripping them to shreds, for tearing into them on Facebook, for writing them a long, scathing letter. No, you're an expert at bearing with people in love. The body of Christ needs large doses of this. Can you think of anybody you need to bear with better. Is there anybody in your life that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind right now? Uh, Steve, you should be bearing with them better. So let me tell you a story right here. Hmm, Four minutes left. All right, tell you a story right here. So um, Debbie and I just had two weeks of vacation alone. First week in New Hampshire, ride the motorcycle all in White Mountains. Second week, Maine, ride the motorcycle coast and then all the way up to Canada and around. So we had two weeks, just us. It was amazing, except for when it wasn't. And I noticed that because we were constantly with each other, we were starting to annoy each other. We really were, in, in little ways. I could tell you what some of the annoyances are, but I, just, I won't go there. You can, you can understand. And it, it got to where we had to bear with one, one another. I'll tell you one example. So, so she's a female, right? Here's how I had to bear. She's a female. There's more to get ready when you're going to get on a motorcycle and ride all day. So just getting your hair on the helmet right so it isn't blowing in your face and you know, just, just all these things, it takes her a lot of work to get everything ready. And then We'll be a half hour down the road and something is malfunctioning. Something in the equipment is malfunctioning. Or a bug flew in my helmet. See, I'm a guy. If a bug flies in my helmet, oh well, bugged in my helmet. We'll stop later. I'll get him out. No, if a bug flies in her helmet, <clears throat> so <laughs> what did she probably most get annoyed with me about? I'm a reader. I have to read. I love reading. So I took a big book along on the vacation and hauled it around everywhere with us. And so I would find time to read and I could tell she's getting annoyed with me because I'm over here alone reading. Better put away my book, go be with her. Little examples, but bearing with one another. In a good marriage, there's lots of bearing with one another. Amen? Yeah, amen. And notice how Paul ends that then, uh, Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is all about love. We've been seeing that through Ephesians, and now we're seeing it again. It's all about love. This is how we love other people. Loving other people leads me to treat them this way and to feel about them this way and to have this disposition of soul toward them. This is all about love. Love takes your patiently bearing with them to another level. Love takes your humility to another level. Love takes your uh, bearing with to another level. 
It's love. It's not just stoic endurance on the outside. Well, I'm boiling on the inside, but I'll bite my tongue and bear with them. No, 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 no. It's I'm not even boiling on the inside. It's on the inside I'm loving them. That's where we're supposed to be. That's exactly what this is calling for. So, what have we seen? We've seen four graces that bring people together and keep people together. Humility, gentleness, patience, and loving forbearance or endurance. So let's seek those, value those, desire those, pray for those, and I'm gonna lead us in that prayer right now. Let's bow together, please. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us to this portion of your word. We kind of hate to pass it by so quickly because we're sure it hasn't done in us all that needs to be done. But we pray that you would send the Holy Spirit in power to bring your word near to the fibers of our souls. And we pray that you would make us this person we've been seeing today in the text. In short, increase our love for one another. Increase our love for perceived enemies. Lord, increase our love, and may we let all that we do be done in, in love. We pray again, our Father, that you would draw men and women, boys and girls, to the Lord Jesus Christ today, even right now, that they might call on the Lord Jesus and be saved. We ask for all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Hey, you are welcome to get in touch.